Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Hackers and HackZen podcast. You're about to join Erica, Jax, and John for an inclusive cybersecurity conversation designed to educate and break the stereotypes of cybersecurity professionals while providing life hacks on how to handle burnout, networking, and goal setting. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Episode 30. Can you believe we've made it through 30 episodes? Wow. We are beyond thankful to all of our fans for your continued support. As always, we have a super special guest today who has a wealth of knowledge. Within cyber, Josh Amishov is a founder, a hacker, and a podcast host. He started his career in cyber nearly 20 years ago, and today he's an influencer and is giving back to the community. Josh, welcome. We're thrilled to have you as a guest on our show today. Thank you for sharing your journey. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, Josh. Well, will you take a few minutes just to share your background with our listeners before we do a deep dive into today's discussion? Sure. So about 20 years ago when I got out of the Army, I uh, became I, my first job was as a uh, Linux sysadmin, um, and that role had a it was at a, uh, a government ministry, uh, so there was a lot of free time, um, and I used a lot of that time to start reverse engineering exploits that would pop up on. Trying was before exploit DB, I think it was security focused. So what I would do is anytime a new vulnerability would show up there. If I was able to install the software, I'd create a local instance of that, try to reverse engineer the exploit based on a patch or any information that was shown, and then create uh, Nessus plugins for that. So this was back in the day when Nessus was a open source project. Um, and I would submit those, and those, those most of them are still part of the project today. So after uh, probably, I don't know, I think a couple hundred of those plugins were developed, I started focusing more on pen testing and spent a good part of, I think, 17, 18 years pen testing. Um, and one of the things that I found was that you would, like, if you retest the same client multiple times, the first time you'd find, like, interesting findings like SQL injection, cross-site scripting. And then on subsequent tests, they would usually fix the extreme high-risk issues. And But one of the ways you can still get into the same target was with valid usernames and passwords. So that's that's kind of what I've been focusing on lately is taking taking kind of indexing any data breaches and then creating basically a, a large data set so that security teams can then query that data set to use as part of as part of red teaming or pen testing engagements in order to, to escalate privileges. Wow, Josh. Um, so big fan. Um, I was super excited when I reached out to you and just so all our listeners know, uh, Josh is our guest that's in the farthest away country. So pretty exciting. Go and check him out. If you want to figure out where he's at, that'll be a little hook for you to go and check out Josh and his podcast. So I was really excited because my background is in CTI and I love your podcast. I was listening to it right before the show and digging into that. And when I was creating these questions with Erica, what I was wanting to really dig into is understanding like your professional being in the space for two decades. I mean, understanding your professional side of where you see some of the, the biggest changes 
in specifically, like, let's talk about cybersecurity risk and maybe even the rise of threat intel and those changes that you've seen just in the last like five to 10 years, if you can share your insights on that. Yeah, so I think the primary changes that, that I've seen would have to come down to risk involved due to third-party breaches and shadow IT, right? So like I said, in, in, in the pen testing world, companies would know what well, they think they know what they own and whatever's in target, you end up testing and then they kind of tighten those machines up. But what ends up happening is the criminals are still getting in due to machines that they didn't know about. And you see that daily in reports on like uh, elastic search instances or MongoDB instances that are left open and they can use like Google dorks on Shodan to find or the other way. And, and this is also very popular with that uh, with ransomware is that uh, criminals are, are using credential stuffing attacks, right? So people reuse the same password in multiple places. Um, an attacker takes a password breach, not related to the target, but the target's employees were in that breach and they just automate the attacks and try to log in and then eventually find a place where they can log in and they can escalate privileges from there. And that's one, that's one of the most common ways, both that, that one of the common causes of data breaches as well as ransomware attacks. Josh. What does shadow IT mean in layman's terms for any of our listeners out there? Oh, sorry. Can you expand on this a little bit more? Yes. Okay. So any mid to large company has a huge network, right? And they're probably aware of some of the domains that they own, some of the IP ranges, perhaps even some of the, the cloud instances they own. But what very often happens is that somebody in some department needs a server and they spin up some cloud instance and then that instance is forgotten. And that instance may or may not be behind uh, their security groups or their firewalls or web application firewalls or whatever security uh, measures they have in place. And when those are forgotten, those are essentially, an, those are, that's another uh, point of entry for attackers. Um, and that's what's commonly referred to as shadow IT is, is all the IT that belongs to the organization that the organization doesn't know that they have. Woof. So I would not want to be that organization. Um, <laughs> so, Josh, what do you uh, what do you think from a perspective of um, managing that kind of risk from shadow IT? I mean, is inventory of assets something that you uh, automatically look for or recommend? I'm mean, just you know thinking out loud in order to even properly know what you have or don't have. I mean. Uh, what do you what do you see your customers doing or not doing when it comes to terms with that? So it's a pretty new space in infosec, and many companies have no idea what they have. And and you just when you read the news, you that's what you typically find that attackers got in through a server that they didn't know existed or that mm -hmm. they knew and they just forgot about. Um, and it's a very difficult problem to solve. There are a number of companies that are focused just on that. There are a number of techniques that can be used to help companies find their IT or find, find their assets. Um, but it's something that it's, it's one of the it's same, same as, as, as breach credentials. If, if you're, if a company doesn't focus on it and they assume that they know everything, then they're, they're probably missing stuff. So it's kind of one of those things where you go through your, your pen tests, secure code reviews, whatever else you do. But that's another thing along with your threat intel feeds, you need to kind of focus on in order to make sure you have a holistic view of the threats that you face. 
Awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like all of this uh, makes for a proper, you know, hygiene program, you know, for exactly. just security and making this like a continuous monitoring and improvement exercise for teams to make sure that they're boosting their security posture. Thank you for that, Josh. I definitely appreciated that explanation. Um, I am going to pivot now and I want to talk specifically from the CTI perspective. Um, what do you see as the largest threats right now surrounding the emergency, uh, emerging technology, especially within AppSec? So, like I mentioned in, in the intro, companies are, it, it's, it's pretty simple to get visibility today into some of the syntax-based attacks that are out there, right? So there are a lot of tools that'll help you find your SQL injections, um, and any syntax-based attack, right? But things that have to do with business logic, right? Which meaning like um, <laughs> many years ago, uh, um, now let me give you a better example. Okay, so if, if you, uh, <laughs> don't want to incriminate myself. If you have, uh, <laughs> if you have, okay, if you have a, a bank, right? And you had a URL like um, viewer count one, two, three, and you rotate that to one, two, three, five. So, if you had a business, if you had a access control issue, you'd be able to view a different account. Um, the actual payload that you put into that where you rotated a digit isn't actually malicious, right? So those are those are more, diffi more difficult vulnerabilities to find. So I think we have pretty good visibility or pretty good ability to find syntax-based attacks. But one of the changes that we've had over the last 10 years is things that don't have to do with syntax-based attacks like business logic clause, or as well as the threat intel fees, things like password reuse, which is, like I said, is probably the most common uh, attack method today in order that's, that's causing data breaches. So without visibility into that, and if you're just doing your, if you're running something like burp scanner against your web apps, um, and I don't say Nessus or, or other tools against your, against your networks, you're going to be missing a probably the, the major attack methods that are going to be used to infiltrate your, your organization. So Josh, I want to, I want to pivot a little bit uh, into talking about like global powers and smart cities with you. This is an area that I'm actually studying right now in my grad program about smart technology and IOT devices. And every time I, start reading an article about how these emerging technologies are becoming coming to the market and becoming more prevalent and AI, for example, all I can think of is the growing threatscape and the additional vectors that our adversaries are going to be able to utilize to exploit and eventually breach our systems. So I'm curious from your from what you've experienced and being in this sector for a little while, what ways do you foresee adversaries like becoming smarter with their their TTPs to get into this space? I know that BEC is one uh, business email compromises is one area that is becoming more prevalent for adversaries to use to breach the network. Do you think that um, phishing is still going to main, be maintained as maybe the no, number one, or do you see other novel techniques that could be coming out, leveraging, say, AI, machine learning, stuff like that? So I think the state of affairs is this. We don't need anything sophisticated, right? The easiest way, you don't need, you, you really don't need anything sophisticated. The easiest way to infiltrate a target is with valid username and password. Right, so if that's going to be a phishing attack, is that going to be credential stuffing due to password reuse and third parties? 
uh, third-party breaches. Attackers, at least today, have very little reason to do anything more sophisticated when there is ample attack surface with using very simple uh, attack methods. Um, so I don't think we need AI. We don't need anything more than phishing, spare phishing, just credential credential stuffing attacks. Um, even, I mean, if you look at the ransomware uh, field, there, there are the very few that use zero day attacks. The, usually it's very, it's, it's either password reuse or a known vulnerability that was being exploited. So in 2021 and in the foreseeable future, there's really no reason to do anything more sophisticated than that because you're, you're going to get in with, with, uh, with the simple attacks. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of human error. Do you think that uh, we need to educate more? Because there's a lot of tooling and we are seeing it uh, working in a SOC environment. I worked at a bank for a while and I saw we had a ton of tooling, yet we were still having incidences on our network because there were so many false positives. And there were also human errors. A lot of the incidences that we had were human errors of clicking on a phishing email, things like that. Um, do you think for us to be successful as let's just speak you know, globally for us to be successful against the adversaries, do you think that education is going to be key and not just educating the current cybersecurity professionals, but educating the, the generation moving up, like putting in um, education in, in the schooling systems to start teaching them how to better protect themselves? So I think we need to combine the education. We can't rely on education. Um, and as, you, as you've as you seen, it's too easy to trick people into clicking on, on links they shouldn't be clicking on. So while education is great, we really need to put in technical, uh, technical boundaries in that don't allow people to, to do stupid things. And you mentioned that there's a lot of tooling. Yeah, there is a lot of tooling. Um, we have to really make sure that that tooling is used efficiently and not just another alert or another report that we get. It has to be something that's actually preventing users from doing things, coupled with the education, coupled with having visibility into, into the what the attack surface is, um, both in terms of all the ways attackers can get in, with, along with threat intel feeds that, that attackers are probably using in order to infiltrate into our organization. So Josh, you obviously have found yourself into this niche somehow. Um, you know, your background is awesome. You've been here for 20 plus years. For our younger listeners or maybe transitioning listeners that are perhaps interested in getting, you know, their feet in the door, all right, what do you recommend? How can people get uh, to maybe one day have talents like Josh? I <laughs> uh, love this question. Uh, today, it's it's easier than ever to get into InfoSec. There are tons of of websites that when I got started, there's there this one website called uh, I think it was called uh, Can You Hack Me or something like that. It was kind of it was like a gamified website where you go through different levels. But now there there, mm -hmm. there are tons of these of types of websites. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of them, much more sophisticated. There's a, a Burp Suite has an academy with some really good labs. Um, there are a lot of capture the flag sites out there. It's really easy. Anybody wants to put in the effort uh, can, and just a matter of getting getting your feet wet. 
Um, one of the things, and, and like there's a lot of certs out there, people are into that. Um, personally, I'm I'm less of a, it really depends on who you are and, and how you and how you learn. Um, I'm more of a kind of a hands-on person and, and I'd want to, just working through the labs will give you the experience. And having be, being involved in a, a, a free open source software project, like a, some sort of FOSS uh, security project, I think will can do as much, if not more, than a cert in terms of demonstrating uh, ability and gaining experience. I 100% agree with you that. I, I think whatever, for me, I, I felt like, Whatever works to get you the knowledge that you need, then do it. If it's formal education, if it's certifications, it's if it's hack the box, but get out there. And one of the biggest things that I tell individuals that reach out to me is don't spend money right away. Go and find those free resources. There's so many free resources out there. And then after you create your baseline, then if you want to start spending money, okay, go for it. But I'm, there's so many, there's too many free resources to be spending money right away or jumping on a SANS course. Um, what I want to know, what is your favorite part of this, of this industry? I mean, you've been in it for 20 years and progression through it and where you're at today. What has kept you in this industry and what do you enjoy about it? For me, it's sort of like a puzzle and it's like finding pieces in the puzzle. So when I was pen testing, it was, it was uh, escalating privileges or, or manipulating applications do things they weren't supposed to do. Uh, today, I'm focused on breach sense, where we're it's essentially a data breach monitoring platform where we're giving security teams visibility into data breaches, and it's just essentially finding data that can be used to that companies aren't even aware is out there, and then helping security teams actually see that see see that their users are have have these passwords out there or if it's uh, it's data from ransomware that's been that's been exposed and then having this huge area that they could be attacked be closed off because now that they they have visibility into the threat intel Josh thinking back to your uh, childhood did you ever uh, think that this is who you were going to be and this is what you were going to be doing for a living yeah, so I don't think it existed back then um <laughs> when I was a kid I used to love taking things apart and uh I wasn't always able to put them back together again. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, um, and I always tell my kids today, like things that they'll be doing probably don't exist yet today. Yeah. So just so stay curious and, and play around with things. I love that. That's awesome. You always had that engineering mindset, though. You, you liked the puzzles and taking things apart and putting things back together. I think that goes hand in hand very well with what you do today. Um, but no, Josh, your story has been awesome. This has been such an exciting episode. Um, we have loved getting to hear about all of the cool things you get to do day in and day out. This is the stuff that, you know, people look at and they're like, man, I want to do that for a living. That sounds super, super cool. Um, so thank you for sharing your background with us. If any of our listeners are, you know, wanting to get in touch with you or maybe look at some of your content, find out more about what you do, uh, what is the best place to find you, Josh? All right. So there's the InfoSec and Ocean Show podcast. So it's a weekly podcast focused on bringing security professionals in to talk about their stories similar to this. And kind of the goal is to help uh, people starting out or red teamers, blue teamers kind of learn some extra skills that they can apply to, to their daily jobs. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Jamus, J-A-M-U-S-E, and on LinkedIn at, at Josh Amishab. Josh, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on the show.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hackers and Hacks End Podcast with Erica, Jax, and John. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.